It's November 18th, 2006, and this is The Candid Frame. Well, welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. It's good to have you. Today's guest is a photographer that I met while I was in Santa Fe, Raul Tuzan. I started becoming aware of Raul while I was down in Santa Fe, not as a result of seeing him work or, or seeing his photographs at first, but really by seeing his students work. Uh, we were in a small town in uh, Las Vegas, um, New Mexico, and I started seeing these, these his students taking pictures and portraits of people, and they were getting very, very close to their subjects using really wide-angle lenses. And that's very unusual because people, when they're usually taking pictures of people, uh, are not very comfortable with getting very close. And in talking to the students, they, they, they were telling me that Raul was really big about getting very, getting very tight and getting very intimate with, with your subjects. And uh, that became very clear that uh, that's a style that he applies to his own work. And uh, it's a great effect, I think. If you take a look at his website, which I'll have a link for on on the blog, you'll see that that intimacy is a big part of his photography, whether it's photographing uh, people in Mexico or whether it's his underwater work and where he's getting very intimate with some uh, sharks. Uh, I don't know whether I'd do that, but uh, he manages to produce some phenomenal uh, photographs as a result. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy the interview um, he decided to start a photographic career after working uh, at Kodak for some years and, and chose a very um, uh, uh, difficult date to begin his business. Not knowingly, but just uh, this is a result of coincidence. Uh, it ended up being um, uh, a significant time. But you'll, you'll hear that during the course of the interview. So um, thanks again for all the people who've uh, been sending me emails regarding the podcast. I... It means a lot to me to hear from you, and all, as well to those people who've posted uh, comments on the uh, iTunes Music Store. But um, that's that, and enjoy our interview with Raul Toussaint. Well, Raul, okay, uh, thank you very much for uh, for being on the show. It's it's uh, it's great to have you on. I was really uh, love seeing your work and having the chance to talk to you while I was in Santa Fe. So. I've been looking forward to having the opportunity to speak with you. My pleasure. Um, I'm really, you know, really honored and excited to do this. Um, actually, um, it's my first podcast, so. Oh, really? Well, congratulations. <laughs> we'll see how this works. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get started from from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. I know you're you're a big diver, and uh, that you know you do a lot of underwater photography. But uh, th- is that how you got introduced to, to taking pictures, or is there another story behind that? Well, actually, um, yes and no. I mean, yes, because when I started doing photography uh, way, way back, uh, my parents and I, I, my best recollection is that I was probably in the 11th grade or, you know, 10th grade, and, and they gave me one of those uh, ectographic 110 cameras, um, really inexpensive camera. I guess it was like $4 in those days. And my first reaction was actually to build uh, a housing to put that camera underwater, uh, which I did. I built it out of uh, plexiglass and 
and car parts and uh you know and i took that on the water um and took two pictures and then it flooded uh, uh luckily i mean the camera kept working and i kept shooting pictures but i gotta say my first serious picture that i planned taking was an underwater picture um and right after that, I went on to college, and my, and my parents gave me another camera. It was a Sears camera uh, built by Mamiya, rangefinder, great camera. And I was like, you know, a lot of us started that way, you know, being the social photographer, taking pictures of any and everything that happened. And then in 91, I got serious about underwater. Uh, I bought my first Nikonas and went to the Cayman Islands and to Bonaire and uh, took a couple of courses. And... Uh, started doing underwater photography and that 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 did became my passion uh awesome had a fun blast with it uh difficult i will say none of those pictures that i took in those years are, are worth anything today <laughs> they're really really you know bad pictures because you know getting the hang of, of wide angle underwater is kind of 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 difficult yeah and that's really one of the more challenging um types of photography you can imagine because you have to deal with with buoyancy you have to deal with you know focus the focus differences because of the water refraction um and and all that so starting off that way is is uh, yeah. particularly difficult i mean on, underwater you have a, another set of of issues you got to deal with um buoyancy for once um you know surviving Obviously, I mean, you got to know what you're doing. You got to be a pretty proficient diver, I might, I, I might add, because you, I mean, you need to float and you need to be steady and you need to know uh, how much time you're going to spend down there and uh, you need to know a lot if you're going to get successful pictures. You need to learn a lot about animal behavior, um, how they behave, what message are they, they uh, sending, especially with sharks. I work a lot with sharks. And, I mean, no matter how hard you try, they're not going to pose for you. So, uh, you know, you've got to be pretty, pretty proficient at what you do down there. And before digital, you were kind of limited to 36 exposures. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the blessings uh, of digital photography, actually. Because uh, I was limited to 36 frames. And... Uh, I had absolutely no clue of what I was shooting or, you know, the mechanics of it. And, uh, I mean, every some of the rules apply underwater uh, from topside photography, but a lot don't. I mean, uh, as, as you mentioned, you know, the, even the distance, you don't even know what, you know, the, the subject is one-third farther away than where, than where you see it. So, actually, even that is, it's, is uh, different. So, I mean, you went down there with 36 frames, you came up, just picture this, you travel, I don't know, you know, to the Caribbean, uh, you spend a week there, uh, you shot X amount of film, you come back and you have three pictures that are good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now it's a different story. Now I can stay, stay down there longer because I, I dive with nitrox. I can stay longer. I can at least judge my exposure uh, if I'm doing right well i can shoot i don't know uh, maybe a hundred pictures per dive um so yeah it's 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 a blessing in that sense absolutely explain the the, the nitrix because uh, a lot of my listeners may not be familiar with uh, diving technology at all and what difference it makes in terms of you being able to stay underwater 
nitrox all it's going to do they they altered the um the amount of um they altered the amount of oxygen they put in your mix um so they put more oxygen the the result of putting more oxygen in your in your mix they take away nitrogen which is actually what's going to harm you down there uh because it builds bubbles if you stay it builds in the in the blood uh depending on the time and the depth you're you're down there so basically by adding oxygen you take away nitrogen so you can stay more time underwater uh not only that uh since you're breathing more oxygen you're uh less tired so you can do more repetitive dives because uh you get less less tired tired by using uh more oxygen the only drawback is that depending on the mix you use uh oxygen becomes toxic so i got to be very aware not to go under 125 feet of water because then oxygen becomes toxic and how long do you uh do you stay can you stay uh, under with that as opposed to just the standard mix usually i mean it, it all depends a lot on on the fish i'm photographing meaning if i'm photographing um sharks for example it's not going to be deep it's usually between the surface and i got to say 90% of my successful pictures of sharks are at surface level between third surface and 30 feet that means i can stay down there usually for an hour now if if i'm photographing i mean sharks uh sharks are going to come to you so you don't need to swim the less you swim the less air you consume now if i'm photographing let's say turtles i got to i got to swim with them and follow them and chase them or whatever you want and that consumes more air that usually if i'm following fish that's gonna you know cut it cut it in half usually 30 minutes okay what what particularly is the allure of of photographing underwater you do some great work on land but what what does what does the world under the sea hold for you that that you uh, just are so drawn to you know as as you can imagine you know people coin me as being crazy and that i you know deal with sharks and watch sharks and i tell people it's so much easier to deal with the underwater world than you know dealing with people uh a lot of what i do top side is it's document documentary photography i mean i do a lot of that uh and dealing with people is not easy it sounds uh, complex yeah uh, you don't know uh fish and the underwater environment first and foremost is so peaceful and so quiet and so beautiful and uh uh the behavior of these creatures is very very predictable i mean you know exactly when a shark is not you know it's not having fun with you around and you know when he's having fun it's it's pretty easy to to know uh so i can spend hours on end uh on the water and photographing these creatures and looking and and swimming um jack costello says in order to observe fish you must become a fish and uh that's exactly what i do i hang out with them enough so they feel comfortable and i swim with them and i'm really close to them and and i will say both of us fish and myself we have a a lot of fun um and i guess there's a lot of of uh obviously influence i grew up on an island i grew up in uh, puerto rico and um you know i spent every weekend of my life basically at sea so obviously that that's a big influence there you know be being uh, i just want to be in the in the water all the time 
Well, during all this time that you were you were shooting stuff underwater, you had a normal job, and you were working uh, at Kodak for a while. What did you do there, and what kind of led you to eventually leaving that and uh, and you know creating your own niche as a photographer? Why don't you tell that story? Because it's pretty interesting. Oh, the, the Kodak years, yeah. When I used to have money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I um I I worked with uh, Kodak for many years. Um, I uh, used to work for their advertising agency, J. Walter Thompson. Uh, I used to manage their account for Latin America. And then I was hired by Kodak de Mexico to be their marketing manager. That's how I ended up in Mexico for five years. And uh, after that, I became general manager for uh, Central America, Caribbean, and the northern part of South America. That's how I ended up here in Miami. Mm. I was transferred here uh, from, from Mexico. Um, uh, I will have to say I, I had it all figured out. I mean, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and what my passion was, and it was uh, taking pictures uh, and teaching. Uh, what I was not able to control at all is when I left Kodak and, and the conditions I left Kodak, which, um, I mean, I left Kodak in, in September 6, 2001. And as we all know, you know, five days later, the whole world uh, fell apart, and... With that, all my business plans and all the plans I had uh, went away, basically. I mean, so I had two very tough years in building up the business, a lot of financial problems, uh, a lot of tough decisions. Uh, but, I mean, if you have the passion and you really have the desire to do what you want to do, at the end you're going to succeed. There, succeed. there are higher forces that are, are going to make you um, succeed. And I'm not going to tell you that I don't struggle because I do struggle a lot uh, every month, like any business owner. I mean, when when you're on your own, you you um, you got to be good not only at, at your what you do, uh, meaning your art or your photography, but you also have to, have to be good at uh, as a business manager. If you don't have an infrastructure, I don't have an infrastructure, so I got to manage the business too. So. It's like right now, I mean, 2007 is com completely planned. I'm working already in 2008. And uh, you've got to be working a year in advance to um, at least have uh, a successful business, I mean, a successful business plan. And your business consists of teaching, doing stock photography, editorial work. How much of that had you um, hoped to, to achieve when you first started out? Or did you have a particular niche in mind when you first started? Or how, how did exactly did you... Despite the, the you know the September 11th, what did you intend to have as a career, and what has it turned into since? Uh, I will have to say that when I envisioned the business back then, teaching, and when I mean teaching, I mean I teach for Santa Fe workshops and I teach for National Geographic and I do my own uh, workshops. That part is exactly how I envisioned it. I mean, I, I wanted to um, teach at least 10 workshops a year. Uh, produce half of them. When I mean produce, it's um, either doing them myself or having a partnership with Santa Fe Workshops. Uh, so that part worked well. Editorial, uh, I that's pretty much the way I also envision. You know, having a couple of assignments a year. The part that has been a surprise and a, and a very nice surprise in every sense, it's been stock. Um, Meaning, I didn't have that as part of my plan at all. Um, two, it gives me such freedom to photograph any and everything. I mean, it gives you the freedom to photograph beautiful things. Shoot postcards, 
shoot whatever uh, really it's, uh, you know, beautiful and it's going to sell, uh, which I stopped doing because of documentary. I mean, you, you get in case on this National Geographic, um, you know, way of shooting pictures and you forget about everything else. But now it's, it's, it's nice. I mean, I find myself in forests photographing mushrooms and creating pictures and doing slow movement and photographing clouds from an airplane and doing all these things that not only keeps me busy, keeps me shooting, keeps me having fun, but also pays very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, I mean, last year, I will have to say a third of my income was actually stock. And I, obviously, I didn't have that in my plan at all. Well, I love the I love the way you shoot, you know, both underwater, but especially uh, above water. The way you use color is 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 just great, and I especially like your people. And I saw that when you were teaching your students, it was all about getting close, because there's such a wonderful intimacy um, in your photographs, and the composition and the light and the color are so strong. But I I just there's an immediacy that I experience when I take a look at your photographs, and of course I see like a lot of influences, like you know, like Jay Mizell and, and probably Alex Webb in particular, um, that I that I see in your work. But how did tell me about developing your particular style, especially um, with your documentary uh, documentary editorial images? Yeah, um, and it's it's funny because um, the other day, I mean, a couple of nights ago, obviously both of us were bored, uh, David Allen Harvey and myself, and we started e-chatting, and um, we were talking about that because my biggest influences, or my four instructors, I will have to say, um, were um, David Allen Harvey, Maggie Stever, Sam Abel, and Nick Nichols. Mm. And it's funny, it's great, and it's an honor that nowadays I teach with two of them. I teach with David and I teach with Nick and uh, I mean they have become personal friends and we teach together and they used to be my icons and my mentors and my you know it it was the greatest thing. Um, And I would say I have most of my influence comes from Maggie Stever and uh, Dave Harvey. They were were Leica shooters. Um, both of them used to, uh, to shoot with a Leica and a 35. When I started shooting Leica, I started shooting with a Leica and a 28. Uh, and still, I felt like well, I was, you know, miles away from my subject. I uh, still shooting with a 28. So when I switched to Nikon because of digital, uh, I will have to say that every picture I shoot nowadays was 17. Um, so I'm really, really, really close. I need these pictures need to come from people, need to come from that intimacy. Mm-hmm. I I can I tell my students that you know I can I can see the lack of intimacy you know of when they shoot with a long lens even with a 50 I mean I really want to feel that they are part of the action they are the, that they are interacting with the subject photography is a byproduct of an experience you live an experience and then the pictures will come it's not the other way around. You don't go out there and say, oh, I need to get this picture. I need to get this picture. You know what? The moment you do that is the moment you're going to fail. You're going to feel miserable, uh, miserably. You need to engage in a conversation. You need to, you know, look at these people. You need to interact with these people. And when, you know, the pictures will come. They will absolutely come. It happens all the time. But if you go out there, you stand, you know, you see a people, you, you didn't interact, you don't interact with them, you just approach them and shoot a picture, that's not, that's worthless. Or shooting from afar, that's, that's worthless. Uh, so, I mean, that 
in terms of influence, I will say I will have to say it's it's a lot of Maggie and David, uh, and I taking that further um, using a shorter lens to be in the action. Um, tell me about your you have two projects you've worked on. The first one is is the Everglades. Tell me about how that started and what your approach was to that particular um, the f- photo project. Oh, Everglades! Everglades. Uh, was a product of depression. Uh, Everglades, uh, when I moved, when I was transferred in 1998, I was transferred from Mexico here to Miami, I fell in a deep depression, really deep depression. Um, I mean, I my best years have were in Mexico. I love the country. I love the people. And it was really depressing to move here. And I needed to find something to photograph. I needed, needed, needed something uh, because, I mean, I was feeling really bad. And uh, not only was my first approach to nature, because I, you know, I never shot nature, but also uh, it was close. It was 20, it is 20 minutes away from my house. So, I mean, it was a short ride either in the morning or afternoon and going there and, and shoot. So I, I will have to say that that project pulled me, pulled me, out of depression, and not only that, I mean, it landed me an assignment in ja- and National Geographic Traveler. Uh, I did an assignment there for uh, houseboating in the Everglades, and, um, you know, had a lot of fun. I haven't gone there in a while. Uh, actually, the last time I was there was uh, December 26th of this year. Uh, I went there, and it's always fun. I mean, there's all these alligators lying around, and, and it's fun. If you, if you, if you and, call that fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really fun. It's really fun. As long as you know what you're doing, it's fun. It's fun. Uh, I'm I'm going January the 2nd, I'm, I'm going up to the Crystal River to swim with manatees. It's when they hang out there. It's really cold water, but it is it is amazing to be with these creatures in their environment and being able to photograph them and share those pictures with the world, basically. Yeah, I especially like the images that you've been doing in, in San Miguel. Um, tell me about your, your journeys to, to, uh, to Mexico, even before you started, um, uh, I know you teach several workshops down there, but what's the particular allure that, that Mexico, ha- uh, has for you, particularly this town? Uh, San Miguel, um, again, I, I lived for, for five years in Mexico and I made a point of, um, basically getting to know every state. Uh, so every weekend, uh, I will go out and, and, um, and travel and, uh, you know, and basically photograph, 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 photograph. The two places that really caught my attention were San Miguel de Allende and Oaxaca. And um, San Miguel, I, I went a lot there, photographed a lot there. Uh, but not only that, in 1999, I went to Reed Callanan, uh, the owner of the Santa Fe Workshops, and told Reed, you know what, you need to produce um, uh you know, workshops in San Miguel, and I want to be part of it. Uh, and uh, that's how we started. We started in October of 2001. We're running the sixth years, six years, uh, the sixth year this this um, uh, uh, year. And uh, I'm going down there in a couple of days for my sixth season down there. And so obviously, I, I you know, I have traveled a lot to San Miguel. I started doing um, a lot of uh, photography there. Uh, tried to cover every angle. Geographic and I, we talked about doing an article um, about San Miguel, so that, you know, made me shoot some more that, that fell to the cracks later, but um, 
I still enjoy shooting there a lot, and I have a huge collection of, of pictures um, that were exhibited in fine arts in, in Mexico. They've been exhibited um, here in the States and in Puerto Rico. And I'm, I wish someday I can do a book about San Miguel because I'm, I do have quite a unique set of pictures of, of that uh, beautiful town. Yeah, I love uh, a lot of those images, but I especially love seeing uh, how effectively you use shadow um, in in a lot of these shots. Um, you're not you're not uh, afraid of those real deep blacks, uh, even dominating large portions of your frame. Um, which no, I, think uh, I mean one of the things I I do miss about slide film is that. Um, I mean, every if, if you look at any of my cameras in the old days, they were all um, set their ISOs at 160. So I was, you know, underexposing film by two-thirds of an f-stop all the time. All the time I was underexposing, underexposing, underexposing. And I'm big on shadows, uh, you know that. I mean, I really, really like, you know, deep shadows. And, and um, you know, that was the word. That was the way I used. Not only it pumped up the the color and contrast, but also uh, you know it made those shadows really really black. Nowadays, a little more difficult. I mean, that sensor in that camera is going to try to bring out some detail in that black, no matter how hard you try or how good you are at uh, metering. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know, and that's where levels come in. I mean, you uh, nowadays you twenty uh, used to be. 100% of your effort was in taking the picture, and now it's only like 25 because you got to deal with the image later. Uh, you got to, you know, finish the picture and correct the levels and clean the picture and store the picture and catalog the picture. So yeah, it has changed. Um, I try to uh, mimic the way I shot in the past, and I'm getting good at it uh, now after almost three years of shooting digital. But it takes it's 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 a different scenario, especially with the shadows, especially if you're, you know, like shadows. Yeah. So um, when you when you're teaching, you you mentioned before that a lot of your students have have sort of a distance issue in terms of not getting intimate. But when when you travel with your students down to uh, San Miguel and other locations, what are some of the other things that you see uh, people doing that you have to sort of um, lead them away from and and towards something else? Well, my biggest fight with any of them, it's, it's going to be the intimacy. Absolutely. I mean, that's my biggest, biggest, biggest um, fight. I mean, I try to uh, convince them to put a wide-angle lens for the entire week uh, and work with that the entire week. I'm not going to force you to shoot wide-angle, but I want you to go through the experience of doing it so you know how, I mean, how it works, how it is, and how fulfilling it is to interact with people. I have in some instances, I mean, I, I can tell when students go, they have like this mini zoom lenses that go from, I don't know, 35 to 70. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I tell them, leave it in 35, and they come the next day and see a bunch of uh, images in 70. So what I do, I tape the, sh I, I get a, a piece of duct tape or gaffer tape and tape the lens down to 35. So they got to <laughs> they gotta, um, take the picture at 35. Other than that, um, I mean, a lot of people rely on all those automatic functions in the camera, which I hate. Uh, you know, you need to know, you need to shoot in an M in manual to really get best out of the picture. That's my philosophy, and a lot of people don't know how to use that. 
they put the program or automatic functions in those cameras. And the moment you do that, the moment you put an A or a P in a camera, it's not you taking the picture, it's the camera taking the, taking the picture. And it should be the other way around. Mm -hmm. I mean, you need to take the picture, the camera is just a tool. On the other, on the other hand, you put A or P, the camera's gonna, the only thing you're doing is pressing the button, the camera's doing the rest, as uh, Kodak used to say. You also have a real a great awareness of, of, of light. Um, when you're going then, like to San Miguel, are you, are you primarily shooting throughout the day or are you shooting primarily in the early morning, late afternoon, and spending the mid-afternoon doing other things? How, how, do, you, how do you work in you know, respect to um, that? Great pictures don't have a specific time. Um, I will shoot at any time. Uh, I love shooting at twilight. That's my favorite time. You know, the sun has gone down, um, 7.38, you know, that deep blue sky. But it's really, really quick. I mean, you got 10, 10 minutes to shoot, and, and that's about it. Um, uh, I, I love shooting in, in, you know, in cloudy weather. I mean, because those colors are really rich and beautiful, and you don't have to deal with highlights or anything. And what I have been enjoying doing a lot now is shooting really, really slow uh, shutter speeds, which I started doing it underwater. I mean, most of my underwater photography, the shark wants, even though the, the, the shark is in focus, everything else is moving. And those are one-second exposure and two-second exposures. Now what I've been doing in the forest and, you know, water and mushrooms and all this, you know, new stuff that I'm photographing is doing 30-second exposures. Really, really, really long exposure because it gives you a very different uh, view to the world. Also, a lot of my influences, or not, I won't, I won't say influences, I'm not, I don't know that much about art. But, you know, something that I like a lot is the Impressionists. And, um, you know, looking at their paintings, and their painting, paintings is all about movement. And so I try to replicate a little bit of that in, in my photography nowadays. Well, one of the things a lot of people um, aspire to is the ability to, to work with National Geographic in one form or another. Why don't you tell us about what it is, what's like to, to pitch a story, to, to shoot it, and what the whole process, you know, how that works. Well, um, I mean, I'm very involved with the organization, uh, and I will have to say that my first assignment is actually coming up for the, for the magazine. I mean, I've shot for Traveler, and I shot, obviously, for the stock agency a lot. Um, I mean, uh, I've been involved in the process, but as far as publishing a story in the National Geographic magazine, I'm, I'm starting my first assignment in, in January. Having said that, I mean, it, it's been a long road and a, and a bumpy road, to, to say the least. Obviously, uh, everybody wants to get in there. And I guess uh, nowadays, if I can describe it, I would have to say that it's 50% being a good photographer and 50% being a good um, story builder, meaning coming up with ideas that the magazine are going to like and going out there and, and, and shooting. Um, the assignment I'm doing in January is about some uh, their marble caves in, in the Andes in Chile, which is not what I do, uh, honestly. I do a documentary, but, I mean, this is something I found and I like and I, I will shoot it. Nobody has shot it. So it's not necessarily your forte, but it's also you know, how good the story is. And, um, uh, obviously, there's a lot of politics, like, like any, any corporation. Um, but it's a fantastic 
group of people to work with. I mean, everybody in there, Dave Griffith and uh, all the editors, John Chave and Kathy Moran and Susan Wenschman, Sadie Corey, all of them are great. Great and very knowledgeable people. And I mean, it's, 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 it's great. I enjoy it a lot. Uh, best part of obviously your colleagues, uh, the other photographers. Uh, you learn a lot from them and it's, it's fun. So what is it that you haven't done that you would really love to do in the next several years? <sighs> Underwater. I will, I will have to say, if I, if I could make my living just shooting underwater photography, that's what I would do. Mm. Uh, if I can, if, if I were able to go diving every day, I would, I would. If I can go uh, out there, you know, and, and, and be on the sea and photograph the creatures and, you know, dive at night and, you know, uh, I, I would love to do that. Obviously, you know, the applications of digital technologies underwater still a long way. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things I, I, I will love doing, uh, but the more I think of it, I think it's, it's, it's going to be underwater. Mm -hmm. Well, the last question I always ask is, um, I ask each photographer to recommend another photographer for, for listeners to explore. So who would that be and why? Uh, tough one. <laughs> uh, I will have to say David L. Harvey. Um, and I will say Dave. I mean, he's a friend and a mentor, and I think his photography, it's... it's different and it's great but uh, what I love about Dave is his passion for life, his passion for life and his passion for photography I mean um, this is a guy who's always shooting he always has a camera and he's always finding ways to experiment uh, and you know find, find new ways within photography uh, finding the way to do, to do more stuff or new stuff in a in a format that's been explored um, in every conceivable way. He's finding new ways of, of doing uh, great photography. Well, thank you, Raul. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. I mean, it's been great. And, I mean, in the future, whenever I can help, um, um, give me a call. Our problem. Well, thanks again for joining me for another episode. If you have any comments about this or any other show, please feel free to email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or visit the blog at thecandidframe.com. Till next time, this is Ivarian X Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com photocastnetwork.com